Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Well, today we're continuing the series Encountering God. And just the way the, the day has worked, uh, God's certainly speaking to us today. And, uh, uh, and it wasn't planned that it would coincide. This has been planned for a long time. But I'm talking today about the parenting nature of God. The parenting of God, encountering the parenting of God. To be honest, I really, really struggled with the title, but that's about as good as I got. But I, I want to look at this really critical topic and, and what God says about the role and responsibility of being a parent. And there's no question that the very first unit of society, as God designed, is the family unit. It is the fabric of society. Uh, many, many years ago, um, I was given a box of secondhand books. And uh, in amongst these books, I found this little, it wasn't a big book at all, little white book, hardcover. Uh, and it was called The Altar of Love. And on the front, it was all gold embossed. And it had two wedding rings on the front. And I, I later found out that it was actually a really, really common book for couples to receive on their wedding day uh, in the 1950s, 60s and even into the 70s. Uh, actually, it's quite a funny book because it has uh, some pretty interesting advice on domestic duties, but we won't go there. <laughs> what caught my attention, though, was um, the foreword of the book. The foreword of the book was written by a man called W.A. W. Kemp, written back in the 1940s. And uh, he was certainly a more learned man than I am because he had 15 letters after his name. But he wrote this in part in the foreword to this book. And he said, A nation's health and wealth begins in the home. After 15 years as a children's court magistrate and over 25 years as a medical practitioner, I am convinced that unless the home life is satisfactory, no after schemes will put society right. Undoubtedly, the first unit of society is the home. Failure of the home means the failure of society. Prophetic words written back in the 1940s. And fast forward to where we are today, the family unit, as we know, is under intense pressure. Huge challenges and huge changes are taking place all the time in our society and the family is right in the middle of those changes. Here's something that I find um, a little bit amusing, but also a little bit disturbing at the same time. A uh, couple of photographs. The first one is this one, which is family life in the 1950s. That's rather quaint, isn't it? Uh, here's something that uh, is certainly a stark contrast, family life in the 2020s. They're still playing Monopoly. <laughs> Good call. Now, even though that is a stark contrast, 
even though uh, that does hurt a little bit, the contrast, I am still so glad that I'm a part of this generation. Because we live in a, a, a time of unprecedented prosperity, unprecedented longevity, uh, unprecedented uh, information, unprecedented opportunities. And I'm glad I'm alive right now. Because we must realize that no matter what we feel about the times in which we live, it is by God's design and purpose that you are born into such a time and place as this. And God in His intent doesn't want for us to live reclusively, cowering from the culture around us, cowering from our generation, hiding behind closed doors, just thinking, well, God, I just want Jesus to come back. You were born into such a time and place as this and may the same be said of us as was said of King David, that we serve the purposes of God in our generation. Can I hear an amen this morning? And so whilst we live in an age of unprecedented opportunity, we also live in an age of change that is just absolutely out of control. Everything's up for grabs. And those changes are impacting our families. And sadly, the bedrock of our society that was once marriage and the family is being constantly redefined and re-engineered. And families are falling apart at a faster rate than ever before. Australia, the current statistic is 33% of all marriages will end in divorce. That's a third of marriages. And as I began to dig in the statistics as I was preparing this, I got a little bit sidetracked and went down a bit of a, a, a wormhole. Just looking at some of the uh, global studies that have been done, uh, by governments, by non-government agencies, by universities, um, concerning the impacts of family breakdown. And it is absolutely horrifying, the social impacts of family breaking down. I'm not going to share any of those stats today because it's not the intent of this message and I don't want to focus on the negative. I actually want to focus on the antidote. Amen? So where do we go to learn about families where do we go to learn about parenthood well one of the remarkable things is we can go back to the most ancient text that is still in circulation today still the number one selling piece of, of printed literature and that's God's word the bible now not only does the bible have a lot to say about family life and parenthood but actually has a bit to say about God himself as a parent. We would certainly be very familiar with the idea of God being father, the fatherhood of God. And it's certainly the most common term that Jesus used of God. Jesus addressed God as father. In fact, in just John's gospel alone, Jesus refers to God as father over 60 times. So it's a common picture. It's also how Jesus taught the disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Now, let me stop there because to say God is Father is not to say that God is male. 
We're told in Scripture that God is spirit, which means he's neither male nor female. It says specifically about the angels, for example, that they're neither male nor female, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. God is not male in that sense that we understand it, but he is father in the sense that he is the source of life. And he is a good father in the sense that he cares for and nurtures his children. But the Bible also gives us another aspect and another, another picture of the uh, parenting nature of God when it kind of gives us these images in both the Old and New Testament as God, as a mother figure as well. There's a time in the Old Testament where Israel had been taken into captivity in Isaiah 49 and 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And God there likens himself to a mother. And he says, can a mother ever forget the child that she has given birth to? The child that she has fed at her own breast? You know, one of the most profound experiences of 30 years of visiting uh, developing nations and, and the work of the church in those places it was actually on one of our church mission trips to Myanmar uh, back in 2013. And we were up in the north of the country visiting um, the Nung Chow Home for the Disabled, which is one of our key projects there. Uh, it's an incredible project. But on this particular visit, we were introduced to a new resident. And all the residents in this home have, have literally been discarded by their culture. To be born with a handicap in a traditional Buddhist um, family uh, would mean that there's a curse on the family. And so that person, that child is often discarded. So all of the residents of our home for the disabled are carrying either physical or mental disability. We were introduced to a new resident. Her name was Agatha, but she wasn't inside with everybody else. They let us uh, out of the building, uh, past all the animal pens, to an undercover shelter under a bit of tin where Agatha was in what was essentially an oversized playpen. Agatha had a profound, profound mental disability and she was also... Uh, deaf and blind when we met her I think she was around 23 something like that and it was shocking to see this young girl one of the huge challenges for Agatha for those caring for her was the fact that she was totally incontinent which meant given the limited resources they had integration into everyday life with the other residents uh, was virtually an impossibility. And hearing that story in that moment, being so confronted as we met little Agatha, uh, we immediately made arrangements for the supplies that would be needed, including adult diapers, for Agatha to be afforded the dignity of being included in everyday life. But as we stood there praying and all of us were moved to tears, Bron Phoebe, who was with us, 
just felt, and it was a God prompting, just to lean in and give this young girl a big hug. And it was one of the most... It was one of the most profound expressions of a mother's love that I have seen. And uh, it was incredible. And one of the local team leant into me and said, that will be the first hug that Agatha has ever experienced. That was a pretty amazing moment. Two years later, we were back and again visited Nung Cho and visited the home for the disabled. And how cool it was to see that young Agatha was now uh, again afforded the dignity. There she was with everybody else just taking part as best she could in everyday life. And as Bron approached, Agatha started getting really agitated and excited. And we kind of didn't know what was going on. And one of the carers said, she's recognised Bron's perfume. And after two years, she recognised Bron's perfume and Bron gave her a hug and it was just an amazing reunion. And of Agatha, circumstance, culture would say, you're discarded, you're worthless. But now by the grace of God, brought into this project where she's receiving love and care, God would say, I haven't forgotten you. You're my child. haven't forgotten you. There's another occasion where Jesus is looking over Jerusalem in Luke 13. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you're not willing. And again, we have Jesus giving the image of himself being like a mother hen gathering her chicks. And friends, not only do we get this beautiful picture in Scripture of of the fathering nature of God, but we also have a beautiful picture of the mothering nature of God. And God is a parent. We can trust the nature and the character and the love of God. But not only do we get in Scripture a picture of the parenting nature of God, but there's also a lot of really practical teaching on just parenthood. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy has a lot to say about parenting. Deuteronomy was written in the 39th year of the 40 years that Israel wandered in the wilderness, escaping slavery in Egypt on their way to the promised land in Canaan. Uh, They got sidetracked radically for 40 years, just wandered in circles in the wilderness. This is the 39th year. It's the last year of Moses' life. He didn't enter Canaan. And he is basically giving instruction as to what they needed to observe as they settled in the promised land, this land of Canaan. Also in Deuteronomy, we get this uh, repeat of the Ten Commandments from the book of Exodus. And in fact, the word Deuteronomy means repetition of the law. 
So within this, as Moses lays the foundation for what the people must observe as they settle in Canaan, we have amazing instruction for families. And I just want to touch on four quick points so that we've got something to take home this morning. Deuteronomy 4 and 9, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when He said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. And the first thing that I want to encourage us with, my first point today, is that parents, we've got to make memories for our kids. In two verses, he says, don't forget the things you've seen. Don't let them slip from your heart. Bring them before your children. Teach them to your children. Remember the day you stood before God. And he he just repeats, don't forget, don't forget. Remember these things. Remember these things. And the reality is for each one of us, our memories play a huge part in shaping who we are. Some of us are shaped by positive memories of our childhood. And some of us are shaped by the negative memories of our childhood. And our lives are greatly impacted by the memories that we carry into adulthood from our childhood. And it's so important in family life to build good memories for our kids. And in part, this is why routines are so important for children. Routines create stability. A child knows what's coming, what to expect. Routines promote stability and predictability. There is security in routines. It's also why traditions are important in family life. The things that you always do together as a family. The things you do at Christmas time. The things that you do around birthdays that are unique to your family. The things you do when you go on holidays together. In 33 years of ministry, I have spent a lot of that time away from family. It's been one of the sacrifices that together as a family we have made in the ministry that we've been called to. Karen and I have been married for, I wish I'd put that in my notes, (laughs) 34 years I'm going to say, five Six. Oh, I don't know. Oh, golly. I'm coming unstuck. Somebody help me. A long time. Thank you very much. So however long it is, it means that I've been present as part of our family for about 20 years. Uh, just simply because there's a lot of travel involved in the itinerant ministry that God called us to. Certainly before planning this church, I was just away all of the time. I remember when Esther was, uh, sorry, Rebecca was about eight one night. I'm reading a bedtime story, praying with her. I was on a plane again the next morning. And uh, as, Esther, as Rebecca prayed, she said, God, I'm, I'm really going to miss Dad when he goes tomorrow, but I'm going to let him go because I know he's telling people about Jesus. Uh, and that's forever etched in my mind and my heart. But one of the things uh, that has become a tradition for our kids, uh, pre the pandemic, every year since the early 90s, uh, I would spend two weeks in New Zealand uh, ministering on behalf of Tear Fund, who is Compassion Australia's New Zealand partner. Uh, The family tradition was as soon as you were nine years old, you could go to New Zealand with dad on one of these ministry trips. And to this day, 
it remains one of the most talked about things when our kids are reminiscing. Uh, the, the, the memories they hold from those ministry adventures with Dad in New Zealand uh, have been really defining in, in a lot of ways for our kids, and I'm thankful for that. It shapes something within them. The most active alerts on my telephone are from our group chat for our family. And it just goes constantly as we share messages and prayer requests, what we're up to. Uh, we share photographs, particularly of Phoebe, our brand new granddaughter. And it's like, yeah, stop sending them. Uh, and then stupid memes. We've all got to share stupid memes. But my phone just goes constantly. And, and we've got to build these mechanisms that create memories for our children. We've got to be really intentional about those memories. There is security and safety in those, in those memories. Secondly, parents are to teach their children. Number one, we create memories for our kids. Number two, we're to teach them. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Don't neglect the responsibility you have to teach your children. Yes, we're incredibly grateful uh, for, the, for the presence of Christian schooling in our region. Uh, and that is a, it's a great blessing. But parents, we can send our kids to school, but they only learn so much at school. It might be at school that children learn facts. They're getting something of an education. But I think they learn their values at home. Children may gain knowledge at school, but they learn wisdom at home. You can't, you can't get wisdom from a textbook. We live in an information, information age today. Um, we talk about information technology. I've never heard anybody talk about wisdom technology. Because you learn wisdom in the home. And what about morality? And again, many of our children are blessed to have the opportunity to, to attend a Christian school. But many don't. Christian education is such a blessing, but it is not the sole responsibility of those who are educating our children to impart, impart values and morals and faith to our kids. Children will never learn wholesome morality on their own in the context of our culture because we live in an age of relative subjective truth and an amoral culture that says, well, morality is not objective, but it's determined individually based on my truth and what's best for me. It was once true that we could assume that at the heart of our culture was a Judeo-Christian ethic, but it is no longer true. Today, it seems we have only one moral code and it's tolerance. We're free to choose to believe whatever we want and live however we like. And the only absolute that governs society is tolerance. But the irony is that those who uphold tolerance as the greatest moral virtue are some of the least tolerant people you could meet. And today we've got the woke left that says, well, you're free to believe whatever you like. You're free to believe and to speak about whatever you want as long as you agree with us. 
That's the voice of the woke left. But our children will form their moral compass from what they see modelled at home. Because in our cultural context, who's going to teach our children to judge correctly? That's a huge responsibility that us parents carry. They learn it at home. It's our job to teach them, to demonstrate, to show it to them. Then we have Deuteronomy 11 and 19. And this is speaking about the law. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Now, that kind of covers most of life. Talk about these things when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up. And then he says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Friends, in our homes, we must be talking about the things of God. We must be praying together. We must be sharing God's word together. We must be making the time to talk about the things that have eternal value. Can I hear an amen? We've got to make time for those discussions, not just sit around constantly distracted by screens. We're going to be praying for our children, but we're also going to be praying with our children. Getting back to family traditions, one of the things that we love doing the most as a family in the summertime is our Turner's Beach family walks together. And uh, our, our kids miss it if we don't do it early in summer. They say, we haven't been for a family beach walk yet. We just take the dogs and go for a walk and we're just talking and just walking together and talking together and where the conversation leads, it doesn't matter. But we've got to be building the things and building opportunities that allow us the space to just talk. You know, every day we pray with our kids uh, and we've only got one left at home now, Noah. But we continue on the way to school. We pray. Noah, how can I pray for you today? We pray together. Noah prays. I pray. Uh, before we launch into another family tradition, which is the going to school rap. And I'm not going to demonstrate that for you this morning. But it's a little bit of fun. If you have children that are geographically distant from you as we do, can I really encourage you to learn the discipline of praying over the phone with your kids? And it feels really awkward at first, praying over the phone for somebody. But very, very soon you get over that and it becomes very, very natural. Pray for, pray with your children. I was at a Compassion Staff Summit a few years ago and uh, I was playing with the worship team. And we were sound checking just before one of the uh, first morning sessions. Uh, and at about 8 a.m. I said, guys, I just need to excuse myself because I need to go and make a phone call and just pray with my kids before they go to school. And the response to that, they're going, oh, that is so cool. And immediately I'm thinking, actually, that's so sad that it would be so foreign to you or so foreign to your own experience that you've got to make a comment like that. Friends, pray for your children. Talk about the things of God with your children. Share God's word with your children. I love this season of having now five almost adult children. And uh, all of our kids have grown up in this church. Uh, next week on Mother's Day, it's our 19th anniversary. So next year is going to be the big one. It'll be 20, we'll have a big party. And we're saying, we're gone for three months. But anyway. 
But I love this season of having five adult children. They've all grown up in this church. And I love the questions that my adult children ask me. And let me tell you, there's some pretty deep questions that absolutely keep me on my toes. But I love unpacking that stuff with our kids. So firstly, we're to make memories. Secondly, we're to teach. Thirdly, we're to be an example to our kids. And there's a bunch of instructions in Deuteronomy around this, but let me pick up on a couple. Deuteronomy 6 and 1, these are the commandments, decrees and laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. In other words, listen to this. As you live your life following God, this will impact the generations that follow you. Deuteronomy 12, 28, Be careful to obey all these regulations I'm giving you so that it may go well with you and your children. Now, there's a saying that goes, the best things are caught, not taught. And that's true. I know that people that have made the biggest influence in my life and had the biggest impact in my life haven't been the ones that have fed me a whole bunch of theories and information. And let me say, there's been a lot of teaching points in my life and they're incredibly valuable. But the ones who have actually altered the trajectory of my life have been the ones who were passionately sold out for their life's calling. It wasn't what they said that changed me. It was how they lived that changed me. When I was nine years old, I'd been uh, playing the violin for about eight, uh, for, since about eight, so for about a year. And I had the opportunity to have lessons from uh, quite a well-known violinist at the time. His name was Bill Hennessy. And he was so passionate about the violin and it was infectious. In fact, it was so passionate that he often got negative critique from his performances and the critics would say, he's too passionate. Now, I don't know how you can be too passionate about something, but his passion was infectious. And as that passion grew within me, the same passion that he displayed, I just said, even from the age of nine, this is what I want to do with my life. And it altered the trajectory of my life. In 1993, I visited the mission field for the first time and had the privilege of hanging out for two weeks with one of my greatest heroes in life, a man called Laurie McGowan, who was the founding CEO of Compassion in Australia. He's been promoted to glory. He served his whole life on the mission field and his passion for the gospel, his passion for the plight of children living in poverty changed me forever. Two weeks as a young guy in his 20s visiting with Laurie uh, slums in, in Thailand and India absolutely wrecked me in the best possible way. And his example, his witness and his passion for serving God totally changed me. Friends, whatever you might say to your kids is important and helpful, but what you demonstrate to your children, what they observe in you is so much more impactful. Do they see you live out your faith? Do they see you with an open Bible? Do they see you praying? Do they see you serving others? Which plays directly into the fourth and final thing, that our behavior as, as parents has direct consequences for our children. Deuteronomy 5 and 29, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. And it tells us that when you do what is right, it actually goes well with your children. And the point is 
that the obedience of the parents is going to bring good consequences for their children. Every act of obedience to God that we make as a parent is an investment in the well-being of our kids. And we serve our children well by serving God with faithfulness and integrity. Can I hear an amen? Proverbs 14.26 says, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for his children it will be a refuge. One of the greatest contributions that we can make to our kids is simply to live fearing God, pursuing God. But sadly, Deuteronomy 5 also gives us the other side of the coin. And the context of this is worshipping false idols. And we've got, a, we've got a huge list of false idols in our culture today. Deuteronomy 5 and 9, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Uh, let's unpack that. What does it mean when it says punishing the children for the sins of the fathers? Does that mean that God is vindictive? That in some way God takes it out on the kids? Well, it's not actually what it's saying. God is not vindictive, but it's simply pointing out the natural consequences of disobedience. That when the parents live in disobedience, mess up their lives because they didn't obey God, there's going to be consequences negatively in their children. And this principle is played out so many times in life. And there may be some of us here in this room this morning and you have had to deal with the consequences of your parents' poor choices and mistakes and decisions. Maybe you're still living with the pain and the fallout of that. Well, if you are, I am so glad that you're in this place today because it means God's on your case. That God has had his hand on you, even though you've had to navigate some pretty stuff, tough stuff through life. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In fact, the psalmist writes, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So there's four things as the team comes back. Four things in the book of Deuteronomy that we can take home today. Number one, parents, build memories for your children. Number two, parents, it is your responsibility to teach your children. Number three, it's our responsibility to be an example to our children. And number four, we've always got to know that whatever we do has either positive or negative consequences for our children. And if these things are true of parents, it means they're also true of God. Because if God reveals himself as a parent, these commands are true of God. And God does. God gives us the most wonderful memories. God reinforces every time we take communion the importance of remembering. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. God teaches us. He's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit to lead us in truth. Jesus, in Jesus, God gives us an example to follow. We look at how Jesus lived his life and we realize as a Christian following in the footsteps of Jesus, what is true of Jesus is meant to be true of me and I follow his example. And God has acted in wonderful ways that have borne consequences, positive consequences for every single one of us. And as we choose to live in obedience to him, we are secure in His love, secure in His grace, secure in His forgiveness, secure in His patience, secure in His kindness. But one final thought as we close. 
Never make it your goal as a parent to try and produce perfect kids. Because you won't. One of the reasons you won't is that they've got your genes. But also, it's not our job. It's not our business. We need to set out to be a good parent and then we've got to leave the results to God. You know, there are only two men in Scripture being described as sons of God. Jesus was the son of God. But then Luke, giving the genealogy of Jesus, goes right back to Adam, the first man, and calls Adam the son of God. So Adam, son of God, had a perfect father, placed in a perfect environment, given perfect instruction. He had a perfect example, but he messed up and turned out to be a rebel. And parents, can I encourage somebody this morning, God knows exactly what it's like to have a prodigal son. As your heart breaks, God's heart breaks. And let me say, also by way of encouragement, how the son turned out had absolutely nothing to do with the neglect or bad behaviour of the parent. There's an often quoted proverb, Proverbs 22 and 6, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it. Can I encourage you this morning to see this not as a promise, but to see it for what it is, which is a proverb? It's not a promise, it's a proverb, which means proverbially, generally speaking, if you train a child in the way he should go, he'll, he'll probably stick with it. But also the same author in Proverbs also says, a man may have a fool for a son. And if we wrongly teach this as a promise, when something goes wrong, we'll be making all kinds of judgment calls that will heap condemnation and a sense of failure on already hurting people. And we can't do it. Amen. It's a proverb, not a promise. Well, friends, parenting in the 21st century is hugely challenging and it's a huge responsibility. But I hope today we've received just a little bit of wisdom from an old man, Moses, just a year before he died. Instructions to a nation. Take the things of God, pass them on to your children, teach them to your children, model them to your children that your children might become men and women of God and be secure in that for the years to come. Because I think the needs of a nation back then settling into a new location, a new land, the promised land, the needs for them and the needs for families today navigating a complex cultural landscape are basically the same. And we need to be encouraged by that wisdom this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the gift of family life. And I want to acknowledge that many here today, maybe the memories we have aren't good ones. Maybe they're painful ones. Our experience of family life, for some of us, maybe it's been difficult, it's been hard. Maybe for some of us, the experience of marriage has been painful. But I pray, God, that whatever our histories may be, 
we understand that wonderful possibility of a fresh start in Jesus. That we might go on and be those people who in our families, with our children, with our grandchildren, we might be to them some kind of moral compass, some kind of lighthouse. That when they're confused, that when they're not sure of what to think in such a confused age, that their go-to might be, what would mum say? What would dad do? What would my grandparents do? That they would see the wisdom and the character and the faith within us that would steer them with confidence in and through their lives. God, help us to be those kinds of parents, those kinds of grandparents, those kinds of aunts and uncles and friends and big brothers and big sisters. The people of godly integrity and character that they need us to be. Make it real for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.